This is VLX number 90, The Death of John the Baptist. VLX stands for Video Lexio Divina, and today we are in Matthew chapter 14, verses 1 through 12. God give you his peace, and nomine pacis affidit spiritus sancti, amen. God our Lord, we ask the grace that all of our intentions, actions, and operations be directed purely to the service and praise of your divine majesty. In nomine pacis affidit spiritus sancti, amen. At that time, Herod the Tetrarch heard about the fame of Jesus, and he said to his servants, this is John the Baptist. He has been raised from the dead. That is why these miraculous powers are at work in him. For Herod had seized John and bound him and put him in prison for the sake of Herodias, his brother Philip's wife, because John had been saying to him, It is not lawful for you to have her. And though he wanted to put him to death, he feared the people because they held him to be a prophet. But when Herod's birthday came, the daughter of Herodias danced before the company and pleased Herod so that he promised with an oath to give her whatever she might ask. Prompted by her mother, she said, Give me the head of John the Baptist here on a platter. And the king was sorry, but because of his oaths and his guests, he commanded it to be given. He sent and had John beheaded in the prison, and his head was brought on a platter and given to the girl, and she brought it to her mother. And his disciples came and took the body and buried it, and they went and told Jesus. Thus are the words of the Holy Gospel. Just a couple quick announcements. A great thank you to all my donors, all my benefactors, both material and spiritual. Also, I want you to know that my show notes are always on the talk section of my blog. Or if you open the description on your podcast app or YouTube, you can usually see those show notes. But if ever there are extended show notes, go to my blog, Padre Peregrino. And then go to the pull-down menu, Talks. There you can find almost every podcast and video I've ever made, again, under Talks of the Pull-Down. All of my videos, please take note of this, are also on BitChute, if you Google BitChute Padre Peregrino. And now I'm on Rumble, but the title is Nick's Dave. It's important to know where to find me on Rumble and BitChute in case I'm ever deplatformed on YouTube. Okay, now on to the section of the Bible today, Matthew 14, 1 through 12. You know, almost the entire section of today is a flashback to the death of John the Baptist. But the first two verses are in real time. At that time, Herod the Tetrarch heard about the fame of Jesus, and he said to his servants, This is John the Baptist. He has been raised from the dead, and that is why these miraculous powers are at work in him. A couple cool Greek words right there. Above the two words, miraculous powers, you may want to write in your own Bible, dunamis and ergusin. I'll spell those Greek words not in the Greek alphabet, but the Latin alphabet. Again, if you want to write those above those two words, miraculous powers. In Greek, it's D-U-N-A-M-E-I-S, new word, E-N-E-R-G-O-U-S-I-N. Those two words are obviously where we get the English words dynamite and energy. But don't get too excited about those two words because... That's just Herod being superstitious about Jesus and John the Baptist. You see, Herod believed in some type of weird reincarnation, which of course true Jews and true Christians do not believe in. But he believed in some type of re reincarnation here. Now remember, what is inerrant in scripture is not, say, for example, the morality of the Old Testament Saul trying to do a seance with the witch of Endor in 1 Samuel 28, but the fact that Saul tried a seance. So also, what is inerrant? Inerrant means without error. 
what is inerrant in sacred scripture here today is clearly not this notion that John the Baptist was living in Jesus, that the dead John the Baptist was this reincarnation in Jesus. Um, no, that's just what Herod was superstitious about. And that's what's being asserted. So that's why it's inerrant, because the sacred writers are, are asserting that Herod was superstitious to believe this. Not that it actually happened, obviously. Now, which Herod is this? We've had a few. Well, his dad was Herod the Great, who tried to kill Jesus as a baby. The one we're talking about today is Herod Antipas, who would later mock Jesus and send back to Pilate, if you remember that in the Passion of Jesus. Well, this is the one who we're about to see today in this flashback, who was, he has already beheaded John the Baptist. Very strange in the gospel to have a flashback. Okay, a little bit more on the family tree. You know, Herod Antipas, who is the Herod today, he has this brother named Philip, and all the church fathers, by the way, say that Philip was alive at this time. So does Josephus, the great first century Jewish uh, historian. Why is that important? Well, that shows that um, Herod took the wife of his living brother, not his dead brother. It would still be against the book of Leviticus if he was dead, but it's adultery on top of that. Now, don't be thrown off by the fact that the word Herod and Herodias sound like the same word. She is not his lawful wife. Herodias is still, at the time of this pericope in Matthew 14, Herodias is still the lawful wife of Philip. And this, this is exactly what John the Baptist will not have. Now, uh, they have a daughter named Salome. That's not the Salome that we studied last week, who is either a cousin of Jesus or a spouse of the cousin of Jesus. So let's recap what's happening only today. Herod has a brother named Philip. Philip's wife is Herodias, and they have a daughter named Salome. Problem is that Herodias now lives with Herod. Ah, and John the Baptist does not approve. This gets the goat of Herod, but it really gets the goat of Herodias. So again, it's unusual we start with real time and then hit the flashback. But again, the one thing in real time of Matthew 14 today is these first two verses of Herod looking back at him killing John the Baptist, but wondering who this Jesus is. Then the flashback of the murder begins in verse 3. Uh, but it reads as, as its own narrative. Of course, this is historically true. Um, they just didn't need those kind of like Wayne's World indications that there was going to be a flashback. It was kind of assumed you'd be smart enough to figure it out. Okay, so here starts the true account, which is a flashback. It says, Herod had seized John and bound him and put him in prison for the sake of Herodias, his brother Philip's wife, because John had been saying to him, it is not lawful for you to have her. And though he wanted to put him to death, he feared the people because they held him to be a prophet. Okay, so remember the family tree I just explained. Herod's living with his brother's wife. This is incest, and John the Baptist calls him out on it. So John the Baptist is in prison when this party starts, and the party really has nothing to do with him. Keep that in mind. And then St. Matthew writes, But when Herod's birthday came, the daughter of Herodias danced before the company and pleased Herod. Okay, real quick aside. You know, there's modern Greek and there's Koine Greek. I can't believe this has taken me this long to teach you guys. I should have explained this a long time ago. Um, but modern Greek is the same language as Koine Greek, but it's very different. It'd almost be like comparing Shakespearean English to what we speak in the United States today. Okay, what is Koine Greek? Well, Wikipedia says of Koine Greek, it evolved from the spread of Greek following the conquests of Alexander the Great in the 4th century BC and served as the lingua franca of much of the Mediterranean region and the Middle East during the following centuries. Okay, that is the language that the New Testament was written in. What does this have to do with Herod's birthday party? I just want to show you how uh, modern Greek and Koine Greek are, are still linked. 
Now, you might be surprised that birthday is even a word in the Greek New Testament, but yes, they had birthdays back then too. Birthday in Koine Greek here in verse 6 is genesios, genesios, but birthday in modern Greek is genethia, genethia. So still very similar to each other. In fact, both the Old Greek and the New Greek form the root of words in English like genesis or generation. Wouldn't that be cool if our word for birthday in English had the word genesis or generation in it? My generation genesis birthday, my genesis generation day. Okay, back to this birthday party. Everyone is having this very sinful good time. Nobody's thinking about John the Baptist except Philip's wife Herodias because she thinks she's Herod's wife now, but she's wrong. Now, she's infuriated that everyone approves of her adultery except one person. Isn't that how it is today? 99% of the population can love what you're doing, stay silent about your sin, but just one person doesn't approve of you and it eats you up inside. Now, what would a woman living in a palace care about, say, some homeless guy who eats bugs, say? Well, that's how our conscience works. When we have euthanized our conscience, we hate the one person that resuscitates it back to life because it, then our conscience looks like this Frankenstein in us. St. John the Baptist is keeping Herodias' Herodias's conscience alive in this ICU of him convicting her, even though she wants her conscience dead. Well, how does she kill her conscience from now on after this? By killing John the Baptist. And we just learned that Herod won't kill him. Why? To prevent an uprising because people think he's a prophet. Well, here's where old school human nature comes in. You know, men have their sins, which usually looks like them looking at women too much. And women have their sins, which usually looks like uh, manipulating men. And lo and behold, that's what happens today. It's not politically correct, but... Uh, Herodias knows that she's too old to please these old perverts, but her daughter is not. And that is how she can manipulate her would-be husband by getting in through his eyes, through his lust. And really, all of this manipulation should remind you of Jezebel. Probably Herodias had what exorcists call a Jezebel spirit. Remember in 1 Kings 19, Jezebel wanted to kill Elijah, but she doesn't have the power herself. She has to manipulate a weak man to get to Elijah and that weak man is Ahab. Now, Jezebel ma manipulated through property in 1 Kings 19, Herodias through lust and through her daughter. Father Lapide wrote on today, Dancing to music enervates even a firm, manly mind and makes it pliable. Which is, by the way, exactly what Rocky's coach said to him in the original 1976 movie, which is three words, women weaken legs. Remember that scene, Rocky's training? And women come into the gym just to talk to him. And his coach yells at all the women, kicks him out of the gym, and then yells at Rocky. Those three words, women, weak in legs. Great scene in the original 1976 movie. I've preached before that if a man controls his eyes, he'll be a saint. And if a woman controls her tongue, she'll be a saint. It's exactly the opposite of what happens here in Herod's birthday party today that leads to a murder. This is why this stuff is important. In any case, here's what happened in today's scene directly from St. Matthew. The daughter of Herodias danced before the company and pleased Herod so that he promised with an oath to give her whatever she might ask. Prompted by her mother, she said, Give me the head of John the Baptist here on a platter. Okay, so obviously this was Herodias' plan the whole time. Her daughter Salome probably knew ahead of time on this plan too. But look, at this party, the wine greases the skids for bad decisions. So this was probably the perfect time 
to get a promise out of old Herod. And by the way, remember how I said he believed in reincarnation? Isn't it kind of strange how even way back then, someone with beliefs in reincarnation might very well not hold to the sacredness of marriage? Hmm, the more things change, the more they stay the same. Okay, anyway, in verse 9, it says, And the king was sorry, but because of his oaths and his guests, he commanded it to be given. That means he commanded the head of John the Baptist to be given on a platter. Now, let's look at that word sorry right there. In Greek, it's lupithes. Lupithes. It's actually the same word used by St. John, St. John the Evangelist, not St. John the Baptist. St. John, in, I think, the last chapter of his gospel, remember when Peter and Jesus are eating breakfast at uh, the Sea of Galilee, I believe? And it's the resurrected Lord. Our, our resurrected Lord questions Peter three times to let him make reparation for his three denials. And if you look at the Greek, we're going to talk about this in a future VLX, but it's really interesting because, at least in my translation, um, I would say philos is to like somebody and agape is to love them. And so it's kind of interesting because Jesus asked Peter, um, do you love me? And Peter says, I like you. And Jesus says, do you love me? And Peter says, I like you. And then Jesus basically says, but do you even like me? And P then Peter saddened at that. And it uses the same word there, lupithes. Uh, obviously, um, Peter's sorrow is different from Herod's sorrow. But let's ask the question, was Herod's sorrow real at all? Now, I personally think it was a real sorrow, but it was just a sorrow that essentially he was caught. Herod was caught between a political uprising for the followers of John the Baptist, loving John the Baptist, and then the fact that he couldn't look like this politician who was not a man of his word at that party. So in my opinion, this was just a selfish sorrow, kind of like how his future buddy Pilate was so indecisive on killing Jesus, partly because he knew Jesus was innocent, but much more because he didn't want another uprising or insurrection among the Jews. And then what happens next? Well, we have to get ourselves out of this imaginary Bible land. I think I'm going to start using the term IBL for y'all, for imaginary Bible land. You know, we all tend to, including me, we tend to look back and we think maybe it was normal for a leader of some group to have the head of a prisoner prophet brought to a big party on a platter just because this was 2,000 years ago. No, this was really sick and really bloody to bring in a still bleeding head to a party with dancing girls. I mean, maybe because we've heard this at Mass so much, it's just kind of, as I've said a thousand times before, in one ear and out the other. Um, but listen again, he sent and had John beheaded in the prison and his head was brought on a platter and given to the girl and she brought it to her mother and his disciples came and took the body and buried it and they went and told Jesus. So this bloody head brought at a party. You know, still the um, podcast I get the most comments on is the one that I did with Zachary King, the former satanic wizard. And in one of the two versions, I think it was the uncut version, he talks about Bohemian Grove. You know, a lot of people would just doubt that that much evil could be at a single party at Bohemian, Bohemian Grove. But here we have it way back there that when you are living far from God, even parties can become very evil and very bloody where the guilty live at the expense of the innocent, which is essentially what that former satanic wizard, now a great Catholic, Zachary King, explained on my podcast. Okay, so much for the flashback. And now Herod has this superstitious idea that John the Baptist is coming for him in the person of Jesus, as we read in the first two verses today. Now, one way to get yourself out of IBL, imaginary Bible land, is to realize that you might, it'd be very easy for you to say that if you lived in the first century, oh, you definitely would have followed John the Baptist 
into baptism as a Jew, or you definitely would have followed Jesus as a disciple. And maybe maybe that's true. I, in fact, I think probably most of you would. But here's where you got to challenge yourself. You know, these VLX series isn't just to feel good and have good feelings in prayer. This is to challenge yourself too. Because do you realize there are prophets like this who are not popular in the Catholic Church today? Remember, John the Baptist was executed for standing for the sanctity of marriage between one man and one woman. I have a priest friend who was kicked out of his job as pastor by his own cardinal and the mayor of this big city where he lives or lived um, once he was involved in sticking up for marriage between one man and one woman. And it really is true. My friend was run out of town and his parish by both the cardinal and the mayor of this huge Midwestern city. Following this, this priest and his parents got death threats. His parents soon died afterwards. You can actually Google this story. He gave me permission to use his name, but I don't think it's necessary. But I did ask him on text today if I could include this story, and he said yes. And I asked him about the stress of fleeing if this harmed his parents' health. And I knew his dad had been battling cancer at the time. And this is what he texted me, quote, It took all the fight out of him, and he rapidly succumbed to cancer, end quote. So here you have a priest standing for the marriage of one man and one woman. His parents get death threats and die shortly afterwards. This stuff is still happening today. Now, of course, you can't prove that this priest's dad died for his son receiving death threats or for the parents receiving death threats just for sticking up for marriage in the 21st century. But I do have this to say, you know, the crosses of the 21st century might be a lot more messy than the crosses of the first century, all except that of Jesus. The embarrassment of Jesus Christ on the cross is something none of us can imagine. The embarrassment of Jesus Christ on the cross encapsulated all future suffering that every Christian, including you and me, would ever have. This is why redemptive suffering in our lives is so powerful, is it's Jesus suffering in you, it's Jesus suffering in me, it's Jesus suffering in my priest friend. But my point today is that you have to get yourself out of IBL and decide if you just want to have, you know, nice thoughts about Jesus's cousin in the desert eating honey, or if you're willing to follow Jesus and John the Baptist to stand up for uncomfortable truths. Now, I always promise to keep my VLX politics free, and I'd probably give myself a B plus or an A minus on that. But we, we always must remember that mental prayer is here to change our lives and challenge us not sit around and tell people what good Christians we are. Let's look at what Father Lapide has to say about this. You will say John the Baptist was not then a martyr because Herod slew him, not because of his faith, but St. John therefore was a victim of chastity because he had died a martyr for it, just as St. Paul, St. Matthew, St. Clement, and St. Lambert and many others say. And now for the imaginative way, I'm just going to suggest you be in that prison with St. John the Baptist. You know, someone in the unit of stage of prayer like him, yeah, around him in that prison it might be physically dark, but the Holy Spirit was so full in his life that the place would have been full of God's light. This is what Father Lapide says. In prison, Josephus adds that John was incarcerated in the fortress of Machir on the border between Galilee and Arabia, where he was beheaded. This prison was made famous by St. John the Baptist for the place, says Philo, was not so much a prison as a school of discipline. Seneca says, when Socrates entered his prison, he was about to deprive the very place of ignominy, for that could not seem to be a prison where Socrates was. Whence St. Cyprian, doctor of the church, says, O blessed prison, 
which your presence has made illustrious, O darkness, brighter than the sun himself, where the temples of God have been. The same author says concerning the chains of martyrs, they are ornaments, not bonds. They do not link the feet of Christians to infamy, but glorify them for the crown. Also, St. Ambrose says, Let not the innocent be distressed when they are victims of false accusations. God visits his own, even in their prison. Consequently, more help is there where is the greater peril. And what marvel is it if God visits those who are in prison, who speaks of himself as shut up with his people in prison? I was in prison, he says, and you visited me not. Matthew 25, 44. So, you know, when I was praying about what to share with you on John the Baptist in prison for the imaginative way of prayer, what kept, what kept coming back to me was how the entire life of John the Baptist, he had his eyes on Jesus, whether his physical eyes or his spiritual eyes. Whether John the Baptist was praying in the desert or looking for one who was to baptize him, of course that flipped at the last minute, but originally looking who would baptize him, to even today in this prison, he was thinking intensely on how to please his cousin and his friend and his God, Jesus Christ. I think you might remember I mentioned in one of the last VLXs that doctrinally, not just devotionally, but doctrinally, St. Joseph is the second greatest saint. Probably, if you look at all the writings of the Holy Fathers, you could prove very easily that John the Baptist was the third holiest saint who comes in only behind Mary and Joseph. That was pretty much the consensus in the first millennium of Christianity, that John the Baptist, next to Mary and Joseph, was the holiest saint who ever lived. He wasn't some crazy guy out in the desert. He was the one closest to the Blessed Trinity, the one with the greatest refulgence of the glory of the Blessed Trinity here in this prison. What an example to look to. So my suggestion if you're doing the imaginative way of prayer is place yourself in that dark prison with him and ask for his spiritual vision of seeing everything towards Jesus Christ, everything of your past, present, and future horizoned on Jesus Christ, everything of your body, mind, and soul consecrated to pleasing our Lord just as John the Baptist lived. So my suggestion, spend 15 minutes there in the prison asking to have your eyes open for the rest of your life, your eyes following, tracking Jesus Christ as John the Baptist did. And then, maybe for the rest of your day, after these 15 minutes of prayer, maybe for the rest of your day, do the same mental prayer exercise. Have John the Baptist at your side, guiding you mentally to keep your eyes, to keep your spiritual eyes, constantly on Jesus Christ and his will for you all day. That doesn't mean living in excessive fear all day, or even like this frenetic life, just means surrender and thanksgiving, which will inevitably lead to generosity and holiness. And of course, humility. Remember the words of John the Baptist about Jesus. He must increase and I must decrease. He must increase and I must decrease. That could be the single spiritual goal of each of us for the rest of our life. Please say an hour, Father, for me, that I may practice what I preach. Et benedictio Dei omnipotentis, Patris, et Fidi, et Spiritus Santi, descendit super vos, et maniat semper. Amen.